songs. Did a wonderful job. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. The Christmas story in the Bible begins earlier than you might expect, several hundred years earlier in the Old Testament. One Old Testament prophecy after another promised the coming Messiah who would redeem the people of God. And whether you know it or not, the first promise of the coming of Christ was given in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The prophet Isaiah, writing nearly 600 years before the birth of Christ, was able to see across the centuries And he gave us an amazingly accurate picture of the birth of the Savior. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And we call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah said that the birth of Jesus would be a sign We find perfect harmony with this prophecy when the angels announced the birth of Christ in Luke chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. God has frequently used signs to get the attention and deliver his message to his people. In the birth of Jesus, we have a sign from God. But what is the birth of Jesus a sign of? Well, first of all, I want you to see that it is a sign of God's power. The birth of Jesus was not a normal birth. It was a supernatural birth. He told us that a virgin will conceive and bear a child. And the word that is translated virgin here is used to denote a woman who has never been sexually intimate with any man, not just that she was a young woman, as some would have us to understand. And the birth of Jesus There is a miraculous event unlike any the world has ever known. In celebrating Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of this prophecy. God has the power to bring his prophecies to pass, even if it means a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Jesus, being God in flesh, came and dwelt among us, being born of a virgin, Mary. In Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, it is made very clear that Isaiah 7:14 had its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we read, And now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. Not only is it a sign of God's power, secondly, I want you to see that it is a sign of God's love. Isaiah says that he was to be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It is a promise that God himself would appear in human form. You probably remember from the Old Testament incidents when God appeared to people as a person. In Genesis, we are told that God walked with Adam in the garden. And later, God appeared to Abraham as a weary traveler. So what is it that is so unique about the appearance of Jesus? Jesus actually became a man. God became a person. In the Old Testament, God took on human form. But in Jesus, God became a person. The theological word is incarnation. That is that God became flesh and blood. In scripture that almost everyone knows, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was because of God's great love for the plight of mankind that he was willing to allow his only son to come to the earth and take on human form in order that he might pay the debt that our sins demand. The apostle Paul explains to us what it means from the viewpoint of Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, in verse number six, it says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. One author said it so well when he said, Jesus endured a human birth to give us a spiritual birth. He occupied a stable so that we might occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother so that we might have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we can be made free. He left his glory to give us glory. He was poor that, he, that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth, while we at our rebirth are welcomed by angels. He was hunted by Herod that we might be delivered from the grasp of Satan. That is the great paradox of the Christmas story. That is what makes it irresistibly attractive. It is the reversal of roles 
at God's cost for our benefit. Not only is it a sign of God's love, but third is a sign of God's faithfulness. Dr. Charles Ryrie says that according to the law of chance, it would require 200 billion Earths populated with 4 billion people each to come up with one person whose life could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. And yet the scripture records not 100, but over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming alone. The Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, as I said, contains over 300 prophecies that he fulfilled in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Over 300 separate prophecies concerning the coming Messiah give us in superb detail the birth of Christ. And the book of Acts in chapter 3 and verse 18, we read these words. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he might suffer these things. So let me list off these 300 prophecies for you. Just kidding. I just want to see if you're still awake. We're going to look at a few examples. It was prophesied that the Messiah would be from the line of Abraham. A prophecy of the Messiah being a descendant of Abraham is told in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. And through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed. And the fulfillment is found in the genealogy of Jesus as told in the book of Matthew, which refers to him as the son of David, the son of Abraham. He would also be from the line of King David. Isaiah prophesied, and there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of the roots. And again, that fulfillment is found in Matthew's genealogy, that Jesus Christ was the son of David. He was also the descendant of Jacob. Numbers chapter 24 and 17 says, and a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And the genealogy of Jesus laid out details of Jesus' lineage through Isaac and Jacob. Perhaps most importantly, it is prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. The prophet Isaiah, as we read earlier, said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Luke gave us the fulfillment of that prophecy when he wrote that the angel appeared to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus and said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And then verse 34 of that same chapter, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Luke emphasizes Mary's virginity by using the term twice in the same sentence. Some tried to argue that the word only indicates a girl of marriageable age, not necessarily a virgin. But the term really leaves us no room 
for doubt on this issue. He also tells us that they will escape from Egypt. Hosea prophetically points to Jesus' escape and coming out of Egypt when he wrote, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew tells us of the fulfillment of that prophecy when he says, and when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. We're also told that a star will signal his birth. Moses, speaking as a prophet now, wrote, I see him, but, I do, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brown of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. And when the Magi show up in Jerusalem to ask the king, they say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We're told that kings will bring him gifts. The psalmist said, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring forth presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yes, all the kings shall fall down before him. All the nations will serve him. And Matthew gives us the fulfillment when he says, the Magi arrive in Nazareth. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You're also told that he is going to be born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah told us exactly where Christ would be born. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth from old unto everlasting. The verse begins with the word but and is the introduction to something new, something grand, something that has never happened before in human history. And surprise, surprise, the birth of Christ is not in one of the world's capitals. It's not even in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. We all know about the town of Bethlehem and we're used to hearing the name of Bethlehem. The well-known Christmas song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we have heard this town ever since we were old enough to understand the Christmas story. But 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was not a very well-known place. It was much like being from a small town like Valonia, Arkansas. When you're asked where you live and you reply, Valonia, what's the next question? Where's that? And usually you not only have to tell them, but then you have to spell it for them as well. And it doesn't start with a B and rhyme with baloney. Bethlehem was like that. It was a pretty obscure little country town. 
so obscure in fact that he has to tell us which Bethlehem he's talking about. He says, Bethlehem Epathrath, or the Bethlehem by Jerusalem. Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. But a week before Christ's birth, Mary was still in Nazareth, 80 miles away. And in a day when they walked everywhere they went, that was a long way. But God was in control. He took care of that. Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken and he gave that this census required that Joseph be registered in the city of his family's roots, Bethlehem. And so Mary and Joseph, at just the right time, made the four-day journey to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was to the world a small, insignificant village of blue-collar workers, nothing special. But Bethlehem became significant, and the thing that made it extraordinary, and the reason we sing about Bethlehem today is that Jesus Christ was born there. Even more amazing than the prophecy of the location of the Savior's birth is the statement that his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That is, the one who is to come, he is like God. He is eternal. The word everlasting means infinite or timeless in duration. And it refers to Christ's eternal existence. The prophecy clearly predicts the existence of Christ predates the creation of the universe. God the Son became a God-man when he was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judea. So remember that all of those prophecies of the birth of Christ assure us that God is always faithful to his word. And if he kept all of those promises then, you can count on the fact that he will keep his promises now. Jesus was God coming as a man. So let's make today's message personal. The story of the birth of Jesus is an amazing story and it's full of miracles and signs from God. Our text in Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the Hebrew word translated you in Isaiah chapter 14 is plural and it means all of you. In Luke's account of the Christmas story, do you remember what the angels said to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night? The message of the angels was, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. This gift is personal. It's for you. It was for all people. The gift God gave in Jesus was a gift of hope a gift of freedom, a gift of salvation. Jesus came to set you free from the curse of sin. You could not save yourself, but God loved you enough 
to come to you. God loves us so much that he sent you a personal Christmas present in the form of his son. The baby Jesus grew into a man. He died upon a cross for your sins and mine, and God raised him from the dead. Today, if you'll put your faith and trust in him, you can receive the greatest gift ever given to anyone, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that you love us. Sometimes we still struggle with the fact that you love us and the fact that you could love us when we really understand who and what we are. But you sent your son. He came here as a human. He suffered. He died. And he went to the cross, not with any sins of his own, but with our sins. And there on the cross, he made the payment for those sins. And he offers a free gift of salvation to any who will accept the payment that he's already made. Thank you, Lord, for this season and the reminder of the birth of our Savior. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to keep that in our mind as we go toward the Christmas day itself. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.